show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Harvard Medical School withdrawing from U.S. news rankings. What are the real benefits of U.S. news and other rankings for consumers, and where else could hospitals invest in their place if they felt like they had the choice? I'll talk about that. Then we welcome Sam Searing to give us the inside scoop on Epic Cheers, Epic's relatively new CRM platform. Sam gives us a tour of how technology enables better consumer experiences and provides the groundwork for personalizing health journeys. We go beyond the buzzwords and hear straight from the source. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Sorry, I can't help myself. If there's an opportunity to talk about U.S. news rankings, I have to take it. And the headline here is that Harvard Medical School has announced that they're withdrawing from U.S. News & World Report rankings. Their rationale is what so many marketers have been saying for years. A quote from George Q. Daly, their dean of the Faculty of Medicine, who said, Educational leaders have long criticized the methodology used by U.S. News & World Report to assess and rank medical schools. However, my concerns and the perspectives I've heard from others are more philosophical than methodological and rest on the principled belief that rankings cannot meaningfully reflect the high aspirations for educational excellence, graduate preparedness, and compassionate and equitable patient care that we strive to foster in our medical education programs. Close quote. So will anyone else join the revolt? And will it spread to hospital rankings? I say that because it's important to note that difference because medical schools are ranked as educational institutions, not in the same categories as hospitals. When we start talking about hospitals, U.S. News says that their rankings are meant for patients with life-threatening or rare conditions who need a hospital that accepts cells in treating complex, high-risk cases. These rankings are helpful if you're looking for information about a rare condition or a difficult diagnosis that isn't treated at many facilities. Now hear me on this. As much as I'm an advocate of choice, health literacy, patient information, and simplifying the experience, which you know I am, U.S. news badges are overhyped and overemphasized as part of those efforts. I do think there's an incremental amount of value in the service they provide. It seems true to the spirit of consumerism to provide data to help people make choices. The problem with U.S. news rankings is that it's a racket and everyone knows it. It's devolved into a zero-sum game of comparisons of apples to oranges. Administrators are too focused on their competition and not enough on the patients who these rankings supposedly serve. The games that they play underneath the surface to try and game the rankings and the subsequent egos in slightly moving up or back in the rankings from year to year are all poor uses of marketing dollars, doctors' time and attention, and administrators' strategic efforts. One year, a hospital that shall not be named earned 10 badges, meaning they ranked in all 10 specialties that they 
could submit for consideration. The next year, they only earned seven. Now, did the quality of their care drop so much in a year that people should stop seeing doctors there? Hardly. They still provided amazing nationally recognized care. But tell that to the CEO, who was pretty unhappy about it, and his disdain seemed to roll downhill to further devaluing everything the marketing was doing to build up the reputation elements of those scores. When that's your experience year after year, it's hard not to leave with a bad taste in your mouth. The consensus is that there are incremental gains for some institutions, but it's become a marketing distraction for almost everyone else. Too many administrators get lost in the numbers and overly focused on moving up two spots from number 12 so they can say they're in the top 10. Or hey, neuro got ranked, why didn't cardio? What's their problem? The worst kept secret among hospital marketers is the time and money they spend on promoting these rankings under the guise that it helps patients make decisions. I'm sorry, but aside from a few life-threatening and rare conditions, that's nonsense when you consider the opportunity cost. Forking out six or even seven figures on a U.S. news ad campaign, but not investing in a consumer insights team? Really? Because we've told ourselves that we're locked into this game of touting our badges and fooling ourselves into thinking they're more important than they are? Cleveland Clinic's marketing department is on the record saying that the day they announced their rankings, they lose followers on social media. Going back to Harvard's Dean Daly, he said, As unintended consequences, rankings create perverse incentives for institutions to report misleading or inaccurate data, set policies to boost rankings rather than nobler objectives, or divert financial aid from students with financial need to high-scoring students with means in order to maximize ranking criteria. Ultimately, the suitability of any particular medical school for any given student is too complex, nuanced, and individualized to be served by a rigid ranking list, no matter the methodology. So there you have it. And I do think rankings would be great if we made all of our healthcare choices rationally, empirically, with all the facts. But that's not how it happens a lot of the time, and you and I know that. Besides, there are better ways to convey quality starting with stories. And you know what? Marketers just happen to be pretty good at telling stories. So I, for one, would welcome the opportunity for hospitals to not play the game. Currently, everyone accepts it as a sunk cost. I don't think rankings need to disappear, but what a world it would be if hospitals saw it as an option not to participate. I invite an open dialogue about the real benefits the U.S. News and other rankings do and don't provide for consumers and where else we could invest in their place. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow. Give it up for Sam Searing. Sam is the product manager for Epic Cheers. It's Epic's CRM suite. We're going to dive right into that and what it means. But first, welcome, Sam, to the Healthcare Wrap. Yeah, Jared, thanks for having me. Very excited uh, for the conversation today. You know, there's one of those times that, that happens in uh, in your career professionally where you realize you can't tell if you know people just from LinkedIn and online or if you've actually met them in person. But I can tell you when you and I met, I was at HCIC last November and I was in the exhibit hall and all of a sudden I saw somebody walking towards me with a bow tie and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know who that is. Even though we've never met in person, it was just one of those, it was pretty clear. I'm like, Sam, you know, like we, we didn't even have to really introduce ourselves, but I just thought that was cool. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and, you know, tell who is Sam and give us a quick summary of your background. Yeah, absolutely, Jared. I actually find it funny that you mentioned the bow tie. It's very much one of my signature elements. And as we started to come back to our meetings here uh, at Epic, following following some of the lockdown protocols and the work from home, 
people joked of, Sam, why don't you actually have your bow tie here in person? And I'd actually forgotten how to tie my bow tie. So I had to rethink of how to actually do that. So it's funny that you you bring that up as an element. But yeah, so a little bit about myself, Jared. So I started working here at Epic about a decade ago on our analytics team and worked with organizations in the Epic community to help them get value out of the data that was being entered into their Epic systems around population health initiatives, patient throughput, uh, and engagement. And I was lucky enough to get to work with a number of our community members as part of some of the analytics projects about merging together data from the Epic system with their patient satisfaction survey data to try to get new insights to improve the experience of the patients. And so that really opened my eyes to the possibility of how we could use a holistic integrated platform to improve the experience of those interacting with a, with a health system or with a provider. And so when the opportunity arose a couple of years later to move over to our CRM team at that time, I really jumped at that opportunity to build this engagement platform for hospitals and health systems to better find ways to engage with their patients and with their customers. And so over the past few years, I've been working as the product manager of that team, really helping to guide the development of the product and working with our community members to help solve the needs that they have to better understand the populations that they serve and help guide each individual through their unique journeys. Outstanding. Well, you mentioned a couple of words and I noticed you were being pretty intentional about the way you worded it. And those words were experience and engagement. And I feel like those two things are absolutely related. From your perspective, I'm curious, just where healthcare organizations do you think are doing well when it comes to the consumer experience side of things? That To me, that includes engagement, but it can include a lot of other things. In general, what are you seeing where healthcare organizations are doing well and where do they have room to improve? I think that the big place that organizations are doing well in is kind of the historical elements of what we've defined as experience. So that in-clinic experience of a doctor having a face-to-face conversation with their patient, that experience goes all the way back to house calls that doctors were doing back in the 1800s. And so there's a long history of that truly being that best experience. And we've seen that through research time and time again, that when an individual is actually in the room with that provider, they're having a great experience. The other places that I think that that experience is pretty beneficial is in the different engagement opportunities that a health system provides to their patients and to their prospective patients. There's been some wonderful work done by members of the Epic community doing things like opening up open scheduling opportunities so that anybody can book their own appointment or simply turning on more consumer-friendly capabilities like paying with Apple Pay or being able to pay entirely through a text message conversation. I think the difficulty when we look into those other experiences is that it's much more of a scattershot of success versus, say, that in-clinic historical experience. And so part of the work that we do here on Cheers 
is talk with our community members about making the unsexy work sexy for that patient and consumer engagement. And what I mean by that are things like standardizing provider scheduling templates. Because if we don't do that effort, it makes it much more difficult in order to provide that great scheduling experience that we want to match the experience that Marriott or Delta provides to us. And it also provides then the added benefit of opening up more availability for patients as they're trying to find an appointment. It's also the unsexy work of having conversations with the CFO to turn on paperless billing, making that an experience that matches other industries like Amazon. So I think that organizations do a great job of that traditional experience, that face-to-face interaction, but that there are opportunities to continue to improve that experience across all of these other engagements that we think of outside of the four walls of that clinical interaction. I like that you framed that as an opportunity because I think part of the challenge to making more progress up till now, I think, has been not a clear definition of who owns the experience. And that also leads me into the opportunity, I feel like, uh, with Epic Cheers. So let's dig into this here for a little bit. So this is a platform itself. Can you give us a, just a layperson's definition of the platform and what problems does it hope to to solve or address? Yeah, Jared, before I answer that, I think we need to take a step back for the folks listening in on the podcast to understand really who Epic is as, as a platform more holistically, and then we can hone hone in on Cheers. So when you think about Epic, people think of kind of that, that EMR and they equate it to every EMR out there in the market. And I want to have folks think about it a little bit differently as composed to some of the other EMR platforms. The reason for that is that when we started building Epic back in the 70s and 80s, Our founder, Judy Faulkner, she had the radical idea at that time that instead of building a point lab solution or a point pharmacy solution or a point revenue cycle solution, instead, she built the product suite with the patient at the heart. So everything revolves around that patient. And we've added new capabilities and insights for those individuals over time. So, of course, kind of with the first dawn of the EMR, we had this fully integrated suite of what I would consider to be raw data points about a healthcare consumer or about a patient. So that's going to include things like demographics, visits that occurred, admissions to the hospital, what medications they're taking, what are their lab tests that are, that are occurring. And then what we've been doing really here at Epic over the past, say, five to 10 years is how can we build a connected health insight layer around that raw information? So some of that is going to be calculated data off of that raw element. So say a predictive model on the likelihood of an individual being admitted to the emergency department so that we can do some population health outreach and get them connected with other resources. 
In other spaces, it's going to be things that the individual, that the patient is providing us. So things like their social determinants of health factors of do they have food insecurity concerns or maybe transportation issues making it to that appointment. But what we've also done is we've started to build out what we call the health grid, which is extending Epic outside of the hospitals, providers, and health systems across the country and around the world, but now going to other actors in the healthcare ecosystem. So two examples of what that larger connected health grid looks like is payer organizations and diagnostic specialty laboratories. So for payers, we've worked with the six largest national payers, as well as a number of regional blues and provider-sponsored health plans to create an exchange network so that health systems can know their patients that are part of the membership of one of these plans and be able to do things like do automated prior authorization for certain procedures or the health plan sharing what are the care gaps that this member has with the health system so that they know what they need to reach out to that patient for. And then on the diagnostic laboratory side, it's connecting with these specialty laboratories for both preventative screening capabilities for things like colorectal cancer, but then also what is the appropriate treatment path and then sharing the genetic information based on the test so that we can know what's going to be the right medication to actually prescribe to this patient at the appropriate dosage to help with their certain condition. And so that raw data was the starting point. The insights was the next layer. And so getting now to cheers is then this engagement layer around all of this information to say, what are the avenues and channels that a health system should be engaging and using all of this rich data in order to best provide services to this particular individual? So recognizing that from a payer, we know that a woman needs to get screened for breast cancer. And so that's where our Cheers platform for marketing automation can outreach through channels like email and text messaging and my chart in order to ask the, that individual to schedule that appointment. Maybe it's also we know that an individual has some transportation concerns. So in our call center functionality within Cheers, being able to offer up a ride share through Lyft or Uber to make sure that that individual can actually make that appointment. And so that's where Cheers is really this wraparound experience to use all of the insights from across the health grid to be able to drive those best outcomes and engagements of those individuals. That's really interesting. So, I mean, my understanding is that Cheers in its current form has existed for about a year and a half. So parts and elements, it's been built on a foundation that has been in existence for a long time, doing a lot of the functions that you just described. But this current form has been relatively new out there. I'm curious what you're seeing as you help organizations understand the value of it. Are you 
talking to marketing people? Are you talking to IT people? Because digital has brought about this kind of convergence of who's responsible for what. Formerly, I was in a digital marketing, like a MarTech function at a hospital system. And I was spending more time standing up platforms, uh, doing implementation functions and things that would traditionally be considered probably IT functions. But I was in the marketing department, right? So I felt that convergence firsthand. And I feel like we're still moving that direction where depending on how an organization is set up and just where their strengths are and who their leadership is, they might say, hey, this platform lives within the marketing silo or the IT silo, or maybe they have created something in between. I'm aware of some provider organizations that have created a digital patient experience silo that does not report to marketing or IT. It's on its own. And I like, I just, that warms my heart, (laughs) you know, like that, the, the ability for an organization to evolve in that way, that's where it has to start for them to be able to address these needs, to be agile enough to find a tool like this and implement it. Are you seeing that type of convergence or are you speaking to like marketing and IT still separately? I'm just curious, like, like who the stakeholders are that you generally interact with? If there was one silver lining that came out of the pandemic, I would say that the convergence of IT operations and marketing coming together to solve immediate issues was one of the better outcomes that happened. Because during that kind of very hectic period in the spring of 2020, all of those groups needed to come together to say, how are we going to stand up virtual visits? How are we going to communicate to our patients of how to talk to us? How are we going to inform our community of what we're doing as a health system? And then that continued into then the winter of 2020 into then the spring of 21, reaching out to patients of saying, come in, get your vaccine. We're opening back up our facilities. Come back in for that cancer screening that you skipped over. And so what I've seen in the conversations that I have is now it is much more of a trilateral conversation. It's no longer just IT coming to have the conversation or marketing or that primary care service line leader coming to have the conversation. It's now each group talking. And one of those groups might hear about the work that we're doing with Cheers and then they inform their peers. They, they hear about it. They bring it to the broader organization. And that's where then we have the conversation and where we've seen the best outcomes of health systems deploying cheers is where there is that coordinated effort between those, between those different entities. So it's really about operations defining what are the strategic priorities of the organization. It's marketing, then crafting the message and the segment populations of who we reach out to and what's the best channels. And then it's using the IT expertise to deploy the specific technology to then execute on that engagement and then continuing that virtuous cycle of analyzing the outcomes, analyzing the engagement to then drive those future interactions and those future efforts. I know that you mentioned different organizations may be standing up these different functions, 
The piece that is potentially worrying is that it may just be another silo that isn't then connected into all of these other pieces. So I much more appreciate the matrix governance structure that we've seen organizations apply because it allows each part of the organization to bring their strengths to the table to make up a larger whole than the sum of the parts of each of those parts of the organization. Yeah, no, I'm glad that's what you're seeing too, because I feel like that's a necessary step for us to build upon in order to make progress in this area. We need to accelerate these initiatives. We need to have the technology in place to enable better consumer experiences. We need to understand that. And these are not functions that necessarily have happened organically in a lot of hospitals and health systems. They've had to learn it. What do you think about the role of technology in enabling an easier experience for consumers? I think that technology is a core element of that, but it's not the only piece. Culture and process are also critically important in order to achieve that sort of transformation that you're actually looking for. And so that's where, for the organizations that we're working with, for some of these consumer healthcare transformation efforts that that we're working on, we have the deliberate, one of the deliberate outcomes that we're working towards is having the defined process and ROI defined for the different KPIs for, for those projects. So I'll give you an example of this. We're working with a few organizations right now on, like I mentioned earlier, some of that unsexy work of doing provider scheduling template consolidation to enable self-scheduling, to enable accessibility. And so what we're planning on doing is then providing that education to the rest of the community. At one of our users group meetings um, a few years ago, we really started to share this idea, not in the cheer space, but more holistically for hospitals and health systems, that for a lot of organizations, innovation is simply imitation of what other organizations have done. And so that's where what we need to do is find those leading organizations that want to blaze that trail and be those people out in front, cutting that trail for us. And then make sure that we have a line behind us saying, this is how we do it. This is how we get here. Not just from a technology of, I typed these things into this widget and I got this outcome. No, it's, these are the stakeholders that we had to engage. Here is how we had those conversations. Here's how we convinced them to move to this next level and then apply it to the technology. So that for those organizations that may be more hesitant or maybe don't have the resources to be experimental, they can see that path that's been blazed ahead of them and that they can tug on that line to be brought forward into that future as well. So that's where I really see making sure that we're identifying those groups that are on the bleeding edge. We really are just at the start. The pandemic kind of was a wake-up call to everyone that we need to be focusing on this. And there are organizations that are really starting to move in that direction. We just have to make sure that for those groups that are moving ahead, that they're able to bring everyone else along to achieve that, that future goal. 
technology really is the thing that allows us to scale and accelerate these processes. The great thing is that we're at a point now in the industry, it doesn't feel like anyone's going to disagree that, yeah, it would be helpful to remove friction and make it easier to engage with the healthcare system, which a few years ago, I don't know if everyone would have agreed with, but it's nice. I mean, these days, it, it sure feels like we've kind of hit critical mass with that line of thought. And I feel like, you know, again, another one of the pieces of the puzzle here is just socializing a lot of the concepts you just shared of where technology fits in, where process and culture fit in, and what to do with that instead of just assuming that everyone knows it, that it's, you know, for lack of a better term, it's a skill that just grows on trees. These are a mix of soft skills and technical skills that require just a, a different level of thinking in my mind. It's a different mindset. And that's what we need to get to the next level and advance consumer transformation, which kind of leads me to this last line of thought, which is uh, for you personally, I, I mean, I'm guessing when you were a kid, you didn't think, hey, when I grew up, I'm going to help organizations create better consumer experiences, right? You know, I'm going to work on a CRM for a company that's traditionally known as an EHR. Tell us what appeals to you about your work and, and why you enjoy it. Yeah, Jared, you're absolutely right. I did not wake up when I was eight years old and say, I want to do what I'm doing, what I'm doing today. It definitely has been an evolution. And it was actually coming out of college. I didn't have a job coming out of college. I was a poli sci major, didn't make it in DC. And so I started working at a food truck actually uh, here in Madison. But a couple of buddies of mine, they who had recently graduated before me, they were working at this IT company just outside of town. And they said, why don't you apply? And so I thought that this was going to be a stopgap for me, trying to find that next thing. But when I got in, when I actually started being able to work with health systems and see the impact that they can have on patients' lives, I knew that this was going to be a meaningful place for me to try to contribute. And so what is appealing to me is that there are so many different elements to healthcare, not even just within an individual health system. Like I was mentioning, there's all of these other elements to the American healthcare system from payers and labs, didn't even talk about pharma or med devices as part of it. But what energizes me and where I see the potential and really what gets me going is finding the connective tissue across all of those different corners of that healthcare ecosystem to no longer be disjointed, no longer be disconnected between the interactions between those different entities. I want to build that future that coming back, it is all about that patient at the heart. And so that everything can revolve around them towards the outcome of that better consumer healthcare experience. So if I had to say, what gets me going? Why am I still here? It truly is about building that holistic experience, regardless of how an individual is choosing to engage with their health. Uh, thanks for sharing, man. I'd, I'd like to just bottle that up and make it available to, to others in the industry. We're in the early stages, just like with consumer transformation itself, we're in the early stages of building up a community of professionals in this space. I don't even know if we know what to call ourselves yet, but people who have the same interests and passions that you just described. And I just want to thank you for, for sharing all that. You've given us so much to think about. And I will just say thanks again. How do our listeners, if, if they want to get a hold of you or learn more about Cheers itself, what's the best way for people to, to reach you? 
Yeah, I'm active on LinkedIn. So just search for me, Sam Searing. You'll see the signature bow tie there in that profile picture. So feel free to connect and message me. Also, we'll be at a number of different conferences throughout the year, whether it's HIMSS or the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit. So I'll be there in that bow tie as well. So come up, strike up a conversation. Definitely want to talk about all of the different potential in that healthcare consumer transformation. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Sam Searing from Epic. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.